Holy Madness is brought to you by JewishCoffeeHouse.com Ich verstehe nicht. This podcast cleaned my kitchen, my yard, and my colon. Without Holy Madness, I'd still be trucking with the doodah man. Trucking, got my chips cashed in. Keep trucking, like the doodah man. You're listening to Holy Madness, episode 8, all about happiness. That was the most emo or goth way of saying happiness I've ever heard. Happiness. <laughs> With us in the studio, we have a special guest who even has his own special theme music. Everybody say hello to Adam. Welcome, Adam. Oh, actually, Thank you. Know. Happy to be here. I'm happy to be anywhere. Why is that? Because of uh, after many years of work, I'm pretty happy guy actually. Was it the working that made you happy, or the? Something I think it's else? what the work kept him away from hmm. that made him happy. Oh yeah, that's a Mishnah. Yeah. No, Wait, it... quote quote the Mishnah for our listeners who don't know Mishnah Yisrael. Well, you know you're. If you do Torah and you have a worldly profession, then you'll be so tired out you'll stay out of trouble. It's an Abba. Which Ethics is... of the fathers. Uh, you have made happiness a, a life's work. That, that you're Obviously, when you're talking about happy, you're not talking about like, you know, uh, you woke up in a good mood. You're talking, your definition of happiness, I guess that's the best way to put it, your definition of the word happiness is not the one... That you would hear in a pop song. Okay, so actually that's worth saying something about because I get the feeling that throughout most of the world when people talk about happiness, that's what they mean. They mean I'm in a good mood all the time. Um, I saw a bumper sticker, In Search of the Eternal Buzz, just looking to be buzzed all the time. So I saw this really old document that said that everybody has a right to pursue happiness. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that was actually um, a revision. They took that idea from Locke, but in Locke, it's the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of property. But they didn't think that sounded very good in the Declaration of Independence, so they changed it to happiness. Hmm. You can pursue property all you want, but you can only vote if you actually get it. (laughs) Hmm. That would suggest that Property equals happiness. I've always thought that myself. But the other thing that we know is happiness is a warm gun. Well, don't you know that happiness is a warm gun, warm gun yeah. I didn't know that. So I'm just curious if that means that all property is warm guns... If you only get warm guns with property, you only get property with warm guns. How does that work? Okay, we're dancing around an issue, which is... Obviously, you're using the term happiness different than the Declaration of Independence, for that matter. But then any real colloquial sense of the term. So I think the best place for us to start would be, what do you define as happy? What is happiness, and why would you make it into a life's work? Who cares about happiness? So happiness is 
what every human being naturally desires and seeks out. And we know this. It's it's something that if you're if you've had any sort of human experience, then you know what it means to feel happy or fulfilled or content or however you want to say it. And people spend a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of effort to feel that way or at the very least try to dull the pain of what I would call the negative emotions. Um, I came up with a little acronym, um, patent pending. But um, (laughs) the negative emotions I refer to as a fad. They are fear, anger, and depression. And I call them a fad because, well, that's the acrostic. But besides that, (laughs) that hopefully... death. Exactly. Yeah. No. Uh, you or know. Adv- <laughs> exactly. My patent pending <laughs> acronym. Adv- adv- <laughs> it's hard to pronounce. But... <laughs> you guys know that in Swedish, adv actually means sad. Really? No, I made that up. <laughs> so I call I call them uh, fad because hopefully, like a fad. You know, like this summer we all had uh, spinners, fidget spinners in our hands, and now nobody does. So hopefully we can uh, ideally get rid of fad, and it should just pass away. And, and uh, a passing fad, exactly. Hmm. So fear, anger, and depression are that's that's where drug addiction comes in, or any addiction really. Any addiction is a human's attempt to mute a fad, to mute those those emotions. And they do a terrible job of it. Well, hold on. Because you said that humans naturally pursue happiness. Yes. No. But ha- no, sorry. They naturally crave we, happiness. I okay. apologize. I mean, stop crave happiness. That. Okay. But it seems to me that humans naturally crave sex, drugs, and rock and roll. As a means of getting rid of the negative emotions they don't want. I'm pretty sure they just chase sex, drugs, and rocks and roll because it feels good. For a second. Well, you haven't... Yeah, so... And then they do it again for another second. And that's how they live their life. Because it... That has nothing to do with your fad, Jazz. No, it does. Because it it's in between. The gap's in between, you know, this girl and the next girl. You know, this drug and the next drug. That's when you feel that lack. And so... Or it's just a matter of the hunt and the chase, and then you get it, and that's good. And you're sated, and then... Sated from what? Sated from what? You just get your little fix. Fix? You have your happiness. What's broken that you need to fix? Okay, I was using fix in the drug sense, but if you want That's where it comes from! Okay. Why do we call taking a drug getting your fix? Because something is broken. And what is broken? A person's negative emotions inside of, of them. I would refer to it as a soul, but you can call it a consciousness or whatever. And people instinctively know this is not how I want to feel. So what can I do to not feel this way? I just don't understand why it's about our feelings. A lot of these things, which we're going to get into make sense intellectually like i can intellectually conceive of them but i haven't crossed the barrier into actually feeling them and activating them in my life Mm. and we're talking about happiness now but where this really came from for me personally was a search for trust in the divine 
and building that connection to have a deep relationship with with the with God uh, or whatever you want to call that the infinite divine. And through that, through trusting that there is an infinite creator that actually likes you and wants you to succeed, you can start towards a permanent happiness instead of a bunch of miserable days punctuated occasionally by a rush of endorphins from sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Not that I'm against so these things, but don't saying, use them. To, don't use them for happiness. Right. So you're basically <laughs> saying you want to substitute the rush of endorphins you get from prayer for the rush of endorphins you get from heroin. It's a lot better for your body. That's his maybe, <laughs> but I want to. I'm, I'm. I'd like. Is that really what you're saying? I'm saying the reason people do all these things that we know are destructive, they do all these destructive behaviors in order to feel good. Have you met? I know you have. I'm actually the only guy in the studio right now that was born religious. When they become, like, freshly religious, or you meet a guy who, like, has his two-week medallion from AA, they're insufferable. Sure. They're but that horribly a... insufferable. Because a... they've traded one dumbass addiction for another. Yes. But that has nothing so... to do with, with being happy. In other words, at that point... But yeah, they're really happy. You is, just don't like being around them. That's the whole. That's a whole different story. It's no, but that was what I was driving at. It's just as destructive. You're just trading physical for social. No, a lot of people don't like spiritually happy people. There's a lot of people, and I get a lot of flack with it, and I roll with it, and it doesn't bother me. Uh, you know, people uh, mm-hmm. make fun of me and whatever. I like it's totally fine. But I have found that people get very offended by the idea, like, how dare you be happy? Mm. You're telling me, like... Misery oh, likes company. Yeah. They want you to be miserable. Pretty much. And so it doesn't... Uh, I know what you're saying. I do know people like that. Uh, you know, a vegan, an atheist, and a marathon runner walk into a bar. And I know because they won't shut up about it. Exactly. Uh, I, get, I get your point. However... And all and and a lot of those things. And by the way, even something that's healthy like wait, veganism, but they're trying or, to help you. Yeah, I mean that stuff is bad for your body. It doesn't bother me, but it will bother somebody that basically okay. has the feeling of how dare you be happy. Well, it's more like how dare you become a socially grating person that wrecks the fabric of community by being a stuck-up prick. Are you saying that being happy is being a stuck-up prick? No, I'm suggesting that the evangelical vegans are stuck-up pricks, that ah. they don't know when to just let ah. other people be happy. Because, you see, and this is kind of what I've been driving at just in stages, a lot of people tend to confuse their happiness for truth. I worded my question Ooh. very carefully. Are you just simply suggesting that you're substituting one set of endorphins for another because ultimately it's better for you. But that's just your happiness. I get the impression that you believe that this stuff is some kind of ultimate truth. I don't go around preaching it. I might make comments occasionally, but I really don't because ultimately somebody has to want this in the first place. And while I'm saying that every single human being wants to be happy... Not everybody wants to come to this connection with God. And so is it the truth? Yes, it's the truth. At the same time, I don't go around preaching and getting people's faces about it because someone that's doing that 
is themselves showing a lack of happiness and their drug is putting another notch in their belt. Oh, look, I converted some. Oh, look, I made a, a baptism today. I converted somebody today. I made someone follow my thing today. I don't do that because I don't have a drive for that. Maybe you should. Maybe you should pull it's them the out of truth. their misery. Yeah, it it's truth. It's happiness. What, you don't care about them? There are some people, unfortunately, who would, at that moment, would rather win the argument than actually get happier. But what does it matter what they would rather? You got to get them out of that. No, I no, it's I the don't. truth. This guy would rather so take heroin. You, you're going to let him take heroin. I'm saying that if somebody is not open to it, we don't have anybody taking heroin in the studio yeah. yet. I'm saying that I don't. I don't go. I don't go around uh, getting people's faces about it and and preaching in that way. I will make general statements about about happiness and how how i found it and if they're interested fine if not not but that is something to consider because i think all of us here and probably a lot of people listening have had experiences where you get like a full court press from a missionary and that's not pleasant either and you can see that there's some kind of desperation in them that is coming from a negative place you can share the truth with people without being a pushy jerk. So that's what I try to do. But I don't I don't put it in their face. So I will But but if you if you're telling me that this is the truth. Mm-hmm. That there's basically, well, let me rephrase that. You're telling me there's really only one way to find happiness. There's a way to start on this process. I would say this that if somebody is interested in living a happier life, Mm -hmm. you can start that process without completely buying into the notion of God. And I think that is is an important point Hmm. because while I do have a very particular um, way of, of expressing it and coming to it, it is a more universal concept and so that's why I wasn't getting get into the particulars. Hold on. That, that's, this is a fascinating thing. You're saying that the inborn natural drive to happiness, however we understand that exactly, can bring somebody to a more expansive view of the world, indeed to some sort of spiritual truth. Absolutely. That, that's an amazing thing. Damn! Yeah, absolutely. And that's where it starts. And... So one of the things that one of the things that I've gone through is besides learning a lot of our traditional religious sources, I've also looked at a lot of the I don't know if this is the right term, but artsy fartsy, uh, you know, new age sources that a lot of people like to mock and laugh at. Yeah, I think that's a technical term. That's a technical term, but the point being that it wasn't the name of their school of philosophy. Yeah, something the, like that. Artsy fartsyism. Look, it's they're a thing. Few years back, I was driving through uh, northern Israel and I picked up a hitchhiker, which is a much more common thing to do in Israel than it is in America. This oh, was yeah. not a threat to his life, is his point. Yeah, it was totally safe and whatever. It's a very common thing here. But so I pick up this guy and uh, and we're driving and we're talking, and he starts telling me a little bit about his life, and he's a, a, a secular uh, individual, and he's telling me that he doesn't eat meat. And he does not eat dairy or eggs or any sort of animal product. And he doesn't like to eat wheat, but he prefers spelt because somehow it's healthier for you. And he 
will he will wear leather, but he'll only wear leather from a special company that only buys the leather from cows that died on their own. So, so he's a kind of vegangelist. Something, something like that. Something like that. <laughs> and he's going through all this stuff. And then I sort of share a little bit about my life. At the time, we had newly arrived in, in the land of Israel, and we definitely moved here uh, because of a, of a desire to fulfill uh, the Jewish commandments uh, and to live in the Holy Land. And he looks at me, and with complete and total sincerity, he says to me, I admire your conviction, but I could never be religious. There are too many rules. <laughs> so sometimes people look at this and they're like, you know, you say that you're you're so happy, but look at all the stuff, all these rules and all this stuff, you know, with God and everything. So if I'm going to introduce it, I'm going to say, okay, let's start with the universal and work from there. You know, I was talking with a close friend who has struggled with uh, depression and OCD, and she said to me, you know, people look at me like, you know, maybe you need to drop some of these orthodox rules here because it's going to feed into your obsessive compulsive thing. And, and I tell them, no, halacha is great. It tells me well, now I can stop. stop. Yeah. There was a, um, a um, big rabbi that gets a lot of calls and makes a lot of uh, major decisions for people. And you know, they, they call him for advice and everything. And so he apparently gets a lot of calls from OCD people. Um, and so we asked. He'll call him over and over and over again. <laughs> Sometimes. He's been getting the same call. Right. And, <laughs> for 16 years. And so, you know, and so we're, I was talking about this in the sense of I have the, I went through a rabbinical ordination program. And so, like, we were learning, like, pastoral counseling, they called it, like, how to help people. Mm-hmm. They basically said, in the fields. They, like, you're not a shrink. We're just teaching you just enough to know when to refer. It's how to help the sheep. Right. So. They, and so I asked them, I said, so look, what's the difference between someone who has OCD and someone who's just very meticulous about their observance? And he said the difference is that if someone's asking a, a very uh, minutia point of observance and they get an answer, they feel better. Right. If someone with OCD gets an answer, they're like, no, but what about this? But what about that? And they're still, in, sure? they're still in turmoil. Hmm. So I want to I point something out that I think is kind of fundamental, which is... I did, as I mentioned, I'm the only one sitting here, did grow up in a, in a religious community. And one of the things... Ooh, Mr. Grew Up Religious. <laughs> you're the lucky one. We've talked about this. We really have. Yes, I, I've yes, said yes. it on the podcast before. The thing is this. One of the things that attracts people to becoming religious or even converting is often a sense of, of community. And it's always interesting. My, my father worked in, in Jewish outreach, still does, 40 years and counting. That's funny. I thought you were going to say certainty or having the answers because we were just talking about OCD. That's, that's part of it. But the answers are, this is, this is what I'm driving at. It's usually not a philosophically motivated thing. Mm. People don't join because they're questioning things. Because, frankly, any religion's answers are just as stupid as the next. And I say this as a religious person. So nobody who grew up hearing about, let's try not to offend too many of our listeners, so... uh, Zoroaster. Yeah, Buddha. So they grow up hearing (laughs) about Buddha, and then they go, no, the truth is Zoroaster. Yeah, Yeah, we do. Oh, sorry. amazing. (laughs) 
look, the, the answers that Buddha offers and the answers that Confucius offers really aren't that different. They might appeal to certain things and they might, you know, uh, parts of them may seem more logical or more whatever. But most people join groups because then they're part of the group. And the happiness that these people discuss, and, and, and look, most of, the, most of my family friends, and we have an extended family of friends, Adam, you're part of it, are people who came through our home because of my father's line of work and joined the community hmm. and are now a part of it. And when I question them, and it always comes up, you know, because my, my mother was a, uh, uh, was Father's born, or, yeah, was a, there's no real English term for that, really. But uh, was born secular and, and became religious on her own uh, later in life. And so there always used to be these conversations of, oh, do you remember, I don't know, like Wendy's or cheeseburgers or stuff. And, and, uh, and, and for guys like us, it was just like, you know, no, I don't. I want to, but I don't. And, and, and I would ask them afterwards, all of them, like, so why did you stop? Like, what prompted you to give up? this easy life for our life the do anything life everything right. is permitted right why would you adopt it's not even a, that's the thing it's not even a matter of permitted because there's no concept of right. restriction it's right. just an easy life but yes. they weren't happy hang on oh. that's not that's what they wind up saying but it's not from what i what i gathered it was never what they meant because my next question would be, so what about living a religious, orthodox Jewish life makes you happy? And, and it's funny the things they say. Well, you know, Shabbos, Shabbat, and you have these meals, and people go to each other's houses, and it's so nice, and the schools, and, and, and people are just so incredible, and the amount of chesed, which is good works, that people do for each other. And, and they have a point with that. There is a sense of tight-knit, close community and every jew feels on some level responsible uh for another but but those are not that's not about that that's not an active thing that makes you happy that's i belong to a group and now socially i have a life where i feel accepted and included and part of things and that's what makes me happy and what i find interesting and this is why i bring it up hmm. is you kind of flip that on its head you're suggesting that the religion creates the happiness. And I'm kind of asking, if not suggesting, that the shared ex community is what creates the happiness. And it happens to be that that shared community from where we come from is a religious one. But there are plenty of people who grow up in close-knit towns in, in places which have that just from their geography for example so part of that is and that's what i was saying before that we first have to address the sort of universal human happiness and then then you can kind of drill down into the more specifics um some of the stuff that i'm getting to now might be beyond the scope here but that's what i wanted to start with is that i'll i'll, I'll use i'll start with an analogy when you say drill down to specifics, what do you mean? What do you have in mind? Meaning, I don't know, like, a lot of the stuff that I'm getting into. Like no cheeseburgers. No, I'm saying, like, happiness in terms of trusting in God and, and communing with God, praying and personal prayer and all the kind of stuff that, uh, you know, I get made fun of for. 
Um, you get made fun of for your buttons? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. By me. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But that's okay. Um, but Does th- anybody else make fun of you for that? It's some a few people, but that's okay. Uh, it doesn't doesn't really bother me. But I'll, I'll start with this analogy, and you can imagine somebody driving a car, and you press the gas, and therefore the car moves forward. And sometimes the car can go might go somewhere that you don't want to go, and that that can happen. And so what do you do? If you're in the car. And don't drive drunk. If the if the gas pedal is pressed down, and let's say it gets stuck, that also happens. Okay. The gas pedal is stuck, and you don't want to go off the cliff. What do you do? Break. You pop the, the gear into neutral. Okay. If you pop the gear into neutral, then that gas pedal is still totally down to the floor, but your car is not moving. Mm-hmm. And this takes a lot of practice, and most people, their first reaction is to tell me how wrong I am because they don't want to take any sort of... Uh, they don't want to feel like they're responsible for anything in the past where they didn't feel so great. But I'm suggesting that every human being has the capacity, if an event happens in your life that normally would floor the gas pedal and would just throw you off in a direction that you don't want to go, you something happens and as a result, you think this thing happened, therefore I have no choice but to feel... Uh, fear, anger, or depression. I'm suggesting that we have the capacity to kick it into neutral. Okay, good. and even so, though that that event did happen, I'm not saying it didn't happen. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't deal with it. Of course, we have to deal with it. But I can choose not to feel a negative emotion on that, and I can choose to look at it objectively, do whatever I can to fix to fix the issue if there is anything to fix, and and remain happy or become happy. You're talking about choosing your response, including the emotional response, which this is a an aspect of choice that seems to be lost on most people. Right. But we today it's, that. but today this is actually out there in the pop literature. It's all over the mindfulness literature. And whenever a book like that comes out, it sells a million copies. Because people understand that on a I think on a, a really deep level on a on a soul level that hey this is it this is right now it comes with a lot of if you get it from the new age source it comes with a lot of other garbage and that's why it doesn't last and that's why i do think that when you talk about truth and ultimate truth yes it does help to connect back to the ultimate truth but even if someone is not ready to go that far even if you're not so sure about god or whatever else this practice you can already start to do independent of anything else well, actually, there's a problem with this practice. And the reason why it may not last might not just be the New Age garbage. It might just be that the practice itself isn't sufficient, that there's a contradiction or a problem in it itself. And what I've come to with that is that if I have choice in my response to something, then in a sense it's arbitrary. I could just choose whatever, and then there's no meaning in anything, which is terrifying and awful. Anyone who's ever played a video game, the whole usually on a like really like a Zelda series or something like that, a good adventure video game, you start with nothing. You start with nothing, and you have to like forage in the for, in the forest, and eventually you'll find food, and you find a weapon, and you find a shield, and and that's part of the game. Now, 
It's like making Aliyah. <laughs> <laughs> so when someone's playing Zelda, they're not depressed. They're not depressed that, oh, look at my character. He has no food. He has no weapon. There are monsters. What am I going to do? I'm so freaked out right now. Or I'm so angry that people didn't give me the stuff to start out with. Maybe I'll just turn off my video game. Exactly. That's the whole point, is that they don't feel those things, because you're not Your in there. Your point is life is a video game? Pretty much. That's even yes. worse than arbitrary. I'm, I'm, so, because the, the whole point is that... Why don't I just turn off my life? Exactly. Exactly. So what well, I'm saying yeah, is... No, 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 wait. Exactly. Um, so, you're advocating for people to turn off their lives? No, I'm not. I'm saying that when a person plays a video game... They don't feel negative emotions about the state that the character is in. They objectively look at the state that the character is in as a challenge and as a puzzle. And what can I do to make this better? And that's why they're playing the game. That's why they spent the money and the time to play the game. Because but life's not a game. Do. Yes, it is. It's a challenge. And that's the point. But that- they can they have that distance from the game because it doesn't matter. They can turn it off. I don't think that's why they have the distance from the game. You've they're, never seen somebody get, at it. You've never seen somebody get upset while playing a video game and quit it? But not because of what the character is going through, because of For what they're sure. going through. What I, so ultimately, anyone that's in any situation at any time, and this is actually, I didn't bring this, the, the research with me, but... A lot of uh, scientific research has shown that people make better decisions when they're not uh, full of anger or full of fear. So you're going to make a better decision by by not having this stuff take over in the first place. So the best thing... You're th- conflating two things. And, and by doing that, sidestepping the question. I'm saying this is, this is a good... We're way- pointing out mm-hmm. that life matters. Sure. And you are trying to create, essentially, people out of a brave new world. No, I'm saying... Life doesn't matter. It matters very much. That's why you want to make the best decision. And if you want to make the best decision, going into it full of fear or anger is not going to lead you to the best decision. I'm saying that a person has a choice when they find themselves in a situation to view their situation... From a from an outside point of view, and a lot of people do this. They might do it through therapy. They might do it by asking advice from a friend. And we know that sometimes when we're if we're overrun by negative emotions, then doing those things is helpful. And I, and they are helpful. And that though they're all great, you can do that by yourself too. So if you are in a situation and you can just look at the facts of the situation. I'm not saying if someone, God forbid, stabs you, it's not that you don't care that you were stabbed. It's that I'm going to have a better outcome if, I'm, if I can look at it, try to you know, get help or whatever, and you know, get to a hospital. I'm going to have a better outcome than if I'm either royally pissed off at the guy who just stabbed me or massively afraid that I'm going to die. So just like you're, if you start a video game, you don't feel bad that this guy is poor without weapons and whatever else. If you look at your own life, and I'm going to bring, bring God in a little bit here, but again, it is possible to start this without, uh, even if you're not so sure about God yet. The way, the way I would say it to myself is God is infinite. God creates time and space. So any second of any point of my existence, I can legitimately say... God has created me right now in this time, in this place, at this very moment with these strengths and these weaknesses. 
and I have a challenge. I have a puzzle to solve. I have something that I have to accomplish. And when you do that without a o- override of negative emotions, A, you're going to have a better outcome, and B, when you learn to do this more habitually, you're going to be a lot happier overall. I agree with you that this is necessary, but I don't think that it's sufficient. And that's what I was trying to say before. I think it's that, okay, you're looking at things objectively, but now, now what? So that's why, what... why are you going to choose to have this emotion as opposed to that emotion, as opposed to this action as opposed to that action? And it's fine when you're dealing with very simple dilemmas, but when you're dealing with complex things, when you're dealing with human relationships where it's not clear how you're supposed to relate to another person or um, what the appropriate emotion even is in a certain scenario, uh, should, should I laugh? Should I empathize? Should I uh, put on an angry face? Like not, Sometimes it's not clear at all. And there... You're really stuck, and you're there's, no something, worse. there's you're... something else that's required. And that's why I think that this sort of dissipates, so this idea. Even what and, you're saying there, but you're no worse off than you would be if you let your emotions determine everything. You're saying that you again, don't know how to go, again, fine, again, but if you're enraged at the situation, you're a lot worse off than if again, you don't I, have anything yet. I agree, I agree. <laughs> what you're saying about... We're talking about a basic level of um, self-awareness here. I mean, not totally basic, but you know, one or two steps up from a basic level of awareness of self. Yes, I agree with you. This is necessary in order to be a complete human being. I'm just pointing out that if we're talking about happiness in an ultimate sense, whatever that means, if Aristotle does when he talks about this, he uses the word eudaimon, right, which is more in english we would translate it more like flourishing right i have a feeling that that's more the sense that we would have in the tanakh too like when we talk about uh, ashrei adam what's ashrei happy is the man fortunate is the man. it's not fortunate it's not that he just got lucky right is it that he's happy well, many of the images are flourishing trees and this and that so you i don't know i get this the feeling that there's a, a thriving, a flourishing, a, a blooming, you know, this person's coming into their self. And what I'm saying is that this sort of new age pill to take mm-hmm. is not sufficient for that. And I want to push further because that's that's where I'm holding. I want to know, you know, what am I lacking here? Right. Where so, do I need to go? I mean, right. And so, like I said, this is this is step one. What I'm laying out is is step one, and a lot of people get stuck there because it does mean that I that it does mean that you're saying that that you were responsible for feeling all these things in the past, and a lot of people like to blame anything else but themselves. Like you know, it's you you made me angry. No, you made yourself angry, and people don't like that. Mm-hmm. But if you're willing to take responsibility for your emotions, then then you can have a much much better and deeper life. I think what uh, what step you know the the steps two three four that you're talking about are uh, those will start to involve understanding you know who I am and why I care that I am and why why shouldn't I just turn off the video game? 
you know, that's important. And people sort of take it for granted, but I think uh, the, the suicide rate kind of shows that the people, if you look at the demographics, it's usually like, you know, young teenagers that kind of come to that conclusion that there is no purpose to life. And so there is something to be said for, for that, for saying that you need to know what your purpose is, and there's an inner human drive that we need to have a purpose. Not to make money, like, you know, not to whatever, what's my purpose? Like, to get laid, to take drugs, like, what's my real purpose? And so that will involve... Well, if you ask my genes, it's to reproduce. And people that have reproduced are not always happy. Okay, but but which part of me are you asking? Are you saying oh, if you ask your gene? Oh, okay, fine. No, That's I, definitely a critical part of me. I wouldn't be me without those genes. So I would say that the 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 me is the soul. When we talk about me, we're you're talking about. What is about, his soul? I got soul, and I'm super bad. You can talk. Some people call it consciousness, mm-hmm. but it's. There's, it's the difference between a living person and a dead person because all, both of them have a brain and two arms and two legs and a heart and a liver and whatever else. So what is the difference between a living person and a dead person? It's Metabolic conscious. function in the dead person has stopped, for example. Okay. So a soul is metabolic function? What is a soul? It's consciousness. It's the you. Because... If, if I'm just the sum total of my... You are far more than just your consciousness. There's people... I'm driving use, at this for a reason. People use a phrase, my body. If I sit, talk about my body, that means there must be a me that's different than the body. Or it's just a horrible quirk of a really clunky language. Why should language tell you anything about what is? I'm saying that the... No, I'm saying that consciousness, the consciousness, the idea that I am me... That I that I am the just the con. The, the, this is still language games. I'm not okay. So then I'm bad at language. All I can tell you is what that is the soul. I, the soul is the consciousness. Consciousness. So all you are is consciousness, or there's more that goes into it. I'm <laughs> only pointing out that things like hormones, and um, I don't know the way you were raised. Uh, traumatic experiences, your culture, your society. All of those things can be changed. All of those things, all of the the, um, experiences that you've had Mm -hmm. can be improved, can be changed with the person that you are now. You can change your father? You can change any negative experience that came from your cultural background or your father. So if my father, and I want to stress this very clearly that he did not... (laughs) In fact, do what I'm about to say. But if, for example, my father had raised me by having me chained to a boiler in my basement and beat me uh, and left me some moldy bread twice a week to subsist on, I could change that? I'm saying that if that happened, God forbid, to a person Mm -hmm. or a more practical and realistic example people that survived the holocaust oh it, i was waiting for it to go so, there do you yes, know they they can you know, be better were your grandparents holocaust survivors? they actually were not okay well mine were okay and do you know that i was born with the stress hormone levels of a rape victim wow okay born with because of the experiences that my grandparents went through 
That's epigenetics for you. Yes. Very interesting. That has nothing to do with the... Wait. (laughs) I can change what my grandparents went through? You can. Well, you can actually work on your epigenetics and change it. You are pretending the throne condition doesn't exist. Because you always have the choice to just pretend that it didn't. I'm not saying that you pretend. I'm saying that if somebody went... Oh, wait. I have to accept responsibility for... The Soviet Union sending my grandparents to Siberia, and therefore I grew up with these stress levels of rape. No matter no matter where person is starting from, they have the. That would have been a great segue into how it's really all the Jews' fault. Blame the victim. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but that in a sense is what you're doing. You're blaming the victim. No, he's saying that the victim still Mm -hmm. needs to take responsibility for what? For himself. Not if he cares about himself. Yes, I'm saying it's possible with that sentence, but I don't think. That the way he was using it a few minutes ago, in the sense that you can take, you can therefore uh, decide essentially not to be one and to just have a totally different reaction to it. Yes, you can. You can improve. Well, you see, if you say this is true, now let's set up another hypothetical. You, I, uh, well, I don't want to say this about me. So, uh,. You, we'll say it about you. Off the air, these guys are friends. We love each other. Sphi's fantastic. Adam is is one of my best friends. You see, and actually, I want to put this out there just because. In the Jewish tradition of Torah study, the highest compliment that you can pay somebody is to call them a chavruta, a study partner. Study partners are not people the way you had it in, let's say, study hall in high school where you just read the text with somebody and that was great. The idea is we, we call it Mulchamto Shel Torah, is a war of Torah. And you'll beat the living crap out of each other over trying to find the truth. But the minute you close the books and the study session is over, these are your deepest friends. You were in the trenches together. We should have had like a video. Adam <laughs> is a chavruta. That said. I'm going to go back to beating the crap out of you. Wait, one sec. Before you do, <laughs> that, that's fine. Yeah. But I'm saying we should have, had, no a, we should have had a video cam. Both of us have been smiling the whole time. That's also... <laughs> well, I'm sure people can hear that in our voices. Here's the thing. So you are brutally raped in an alleyway. Ouch. Right. Yeah, God forbid. Yeah, but still. Now you go to court. <laughs> now you go to court. They catch your, your guy, right? You go to court. And you have all sorts of... Uh, physical wounds and I would imagine that you have all sorts of emotional wounds as well so if your job for example has an entrance to the building through an alleyway and PTSD, you psychologically isn't yeah. purely an emotional thing no it's not I'm just, I'm just right exactly so, all sorts of damage. so damages and by the way before you're in the, we include this in the Torah system as well there are five categories yes, of damages and these would be included in those five. So, uh, based on everything you're saying, Including he can kind of... humiliation. Right. Hmm? Which is a real test case for what you're saying. That's fine. Wait, he can sit there very smugly in the defendant's box and goes, well, that's your responsibility. There's two different things that you're talking about here. All I'm saying is that it's not the person's fault if they were in a bad situation, if they grew up poor, if they grew up beaten or whatever. Whatever the situation is. I'm not saying it's their fault that they had that situation. And I'm simply saying that from this moment forward, 
anyone, no matter how bad they've had it until now, can choose to have a better emotional state. It doesn't mean that they so deserve it. So he can tell you, I have no need to pay you for your emotional no. suffering because you can choose to have a better emotional state. Nope. And Why not? This is a complete totally separate thing. It's not. It it's is. driving at the heart of it the matter is. that because you are pretending you... something is a no. choice purely in the realm of consciousness where it's not. Because we... It is governed thing by things like, and by the way, not to be Mr. Uh, uh, piss on the parade here, but these emotions that you were pretending are nothing more than choices because you can always put your car in neutral are also governed by the same things like, I don't know, hormones and uh, physiological learned responses to physiological uh, contexts which bypass most of your conscious brain. Among other yeah, things, yeah, that's a really important point. Okay, if that were if that were the only thing that a human being could do, then everyone should have the same exact response to trauma, and they don't. Some people are more resilient than others. Some people live through the same war and the exact same battles, and some people have horrible PTSD and they're scarred for years, and other people still feel it and they still have to deal with it. But it doesn't affect them as much, and they're able to be resilient faster. And there's Boy, a reason. I thought that. it was all a choice. It is He's a choice. saying that some people make the choice and some people don't, which comes back to that. Your whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm sorry. Wow, hang on. Hit the brakes. Not neutral. Brakes. Put the car in park. You're suggesting that if you take two soldiers who serve in the same unit, one of them is horrible PTSD, and the other one goes on to have a somewhat uh, normal life that the difference between the two is that one made this big choice you're suggesting exists and the other one didn't it's a practice it is something you said it's a choice it can be or you can live on autopilot a lot of people unfortunately live on autopilot and they suffer as your a body and its fantastic subconscious system of operation is not autopilot to choose to have negative emotions is usually the a function response. of a cross between your central nervous system, amygdala, and hormones. And I'm glad you brought that up because I'm not talking about fight or flight. When I talk about fear, I'm not talking about fight or flight. Fight or flight is, is a physiological response and everyone's always going to have that and that's a good thing and it protects you. Also... When I said that fat is like fearing or depression, I'm not talking about clinical depression. If you have clinical depression, take medication, please. Um, that's not what I'm talking about. But ultimately, somebody that has practiced the, the I don't know if you call it art or whatever, but someone that's practiced choosing not to feel negative emotions will do better and will have a more resilience in, God forbid, the worst of cases, whatever case you want to throw out there. And someone who hasn't may not. So you've now gone from we can all choose our emotional responses and therefore be happy to this is a psychological regimen that will allow you to be resilient in the face of trauma. Am I, am I getting that right? It went from a philosophy of life to a nice technique. It's right. both. 
It's both. You need your the technique in order to get Your philosophy of life there. is a psychological technique. My philosophy of life is happiness is achievable through what I was talking about. And then beyond that, the ultimate goal is trust and connection with God. I was just trying to start from a place where if somebody is listening that maybe doesn't totally take on the whole God thing, let's start with you can choose how you react in situations. And as you learn to choose better and better, you will be happier and happier no matter what comes at you in life. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I understand why you would approach it this way, but Yesod, Yesodot, the foundation of all foundations here, Leidasha Yesham Matsoi Rishot, right? How can you start the, the f- most fundamental principle of any knowledge, any kind of knowledge, is to know that there is primal being. And this primal being is God, and this God is the God of the Torah, and there's prophecy, and so on and so forth. It seems like, starting from a psychological position and trying to work your way back through this, you're putting the cart before the horse or some something sounds like it's going to get reversed here because the logical order, at least according to Maimonides, is getting reversed. Okay, I understand that uh, that point of view. I'm simply saying that it's it's kind of like when when the Jews are at Mount Sinai, we say that we will do and we will understand. Start with the doing. Start with being conscious. But lahalacha, according to Maimonides, you're supposed to start with the knowledge. He even expands that, that it starts with the knowledge of the world and its workings, which gives you a sense of ava. And then if you actually investigate those things further, you'll have a sense of ira. That's love and, and uh, call it awe. He makes it very clear, not in one flippant sentence, but over the course of quite a few chapters, that this is not a the secret emotional fix-all. And I'll tell you why I think that the reversal in your approach is critically damaging. Because it makes it all about how you feel. It's all self-centered. It's ultimately just self-help. It's the en- it's still the entrance. You can't get to a love and awe of God until you have a love of yourself. And most people, you can't have any clue what yourself is until you're interested in what reality is. And I don't you know. know. And I don't, you I don't, know this. No, I, and I, you know this already because you're talking about coming to some sort of objective view of yourself in your context. You know that that's what you need. I mean, that's. I guess that's the ultimate goal. That, that's just. A I'll, tiny put it, I'll put it this way. I. I wouldn't. I. I. I would feel. Someone's missing out if they say, "Oh, this is God stuff. I am not a God stuff person. Therefore, I will not attempt this." That's what I'm trying to avoid. I'm saying that even if okay, you're not so a God a person, try. God, so try. Try coming to this, and ultimately. It's about love of self. You have to love yourself before you can love God. So I hate to break in with a nasty comment, but it's kind of my jam. We have a word for self-love. Wow, this is flying over everyone's heads. The word for self-love is masturbation. 
This is just one, as I kind of alluded to moments ago, this is really just some solipsistic exercise in which it makes you feel good, so you do it, and the point is you're feeling good, and that's the proof that doing it works, because if you do it, it feels good, and it gets you nowhere other than it feels good. How so do you why did you that? just say that? Wait, wh- why did you just say that? What was your... What was your I'm kind of building it? on what Mayor Simcha had pointed out. I think you said it because you enjoy winning an argument. And you would <laughs> rather win the argument than you would improve your emotional state. And so a lot of people are wanted, like that. A okay, lot of people are like okay. that. Okay, so if you'd like to do it that way, I will, one, sit on a couch or lay on a couch. And two, happily share with you that I'm 30 years old that I've been plumbing the Jewish wisdom books for 17 years now. I have been down your road, and that's where it ended. And every single person that I know who went down that road is living like a monkey, flinging poop and loving himself. And they get nowhere. They spin their wheels. They shrink the universe down to the size of their skull, where their emotional well-being becomes the sum total of reality. And the only difference is, at least, basic white girls have things like pumpkin spice and nice curves. So let me ask you something. This is important. That was me. Svi. <laughs> I didn't follow well, you at the end. There. I didn't finish. That's but... okay. Let me, this is an important question. Svi. Yes. Does God love you? How should I know? Okay. Do you, do you really, you really? I'm asking you. How should I know? You're asking me what I think. I think by dint of my being part of a Jewish people, that God loves the Jewish people, and He loves me because I'm part of the Jewish people. I also think, or rather, at this point, I'll say no. That somebody who's dumb enough to remove themselves from the Jewish people and attempt to face God face to face is going to get crushed. Okay. If So if does God, God love me, little cute meatbag Tzvi? No idea. Hopefully, hopefully, he thinks I'm cute. Mer Simcha, mm-hmm. does God love you? I'm going to hold with Tzvi on this and add that this is l'halacha relevant for Rosh Hashanah. You don't have individual petitions on Rosh Hashanah. Because you don't want to stick out. You need to be a part of the club. Listen, I'm a mess. My life is a mess. Do I have any particular zchut? I'm certainly not going to claim that. Is there something to, you know, I'm not sure there's much of a self to love. Okay, so I'm going to go out on a limb here. And I'm going to say that God loves every human being. Jew, non-Jew, it doesn't matter. This is a platitude. And it's... It's a very nice God, thing to think, and you can feel God nice acti- because you're saying it. And But where does it come from? And we're going to do a little self-serving callback for the podcast, and how do we describe such a thing, Mary Simcha? We can all sit around the campfire and sing, Kumbaya, my lord, Kumbaya. Join us, Adam. Kumbaya, my lord. Kumbaya. It's a beautiful Hebrew term. Kumbaya. Kum, get up. 
Ba come to Hashem. Oh. Except that's it it's bad reverse. Hebrew, it's, it's, but it's beautiful. It's get up, God come here, which is the most pretentious <laughs> idiot thing to say. No, it's get up and as come. If you're barking yeah, orders at the holy it's one. It's bad Hebrew, but it's no, it's bad Hebrew, but it's no, that, but it's, it's correct Hebrew that. if you read it the way the tree is. <laughs> so that's crazy. Again, if anything, it's Aramaic, and it means arise problem. So I really did not know. That uh, that you are of the uh, of the of the God doesn't love every human being, but okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, be the one. Does God divorce. tell you He loves every human being anywhere? I should have brought sources with me, but listen, if we were to open up Misilat Yeshua, if we were to open up Derech Hashem by the Ramchal, we would find out. That to the extent that we could understand there being existence, material existence at all, that it's grounded in the will and the love of primal existence of God. Right. Right? So, okay, you could go with that. But that says nothing about the individuals. It says God loves existence. If you were to perhaps start at the beginning and open up God's books, the Torah Shebichtav, the written Torah, you will not find anywhere that God says anything about loving all individuals and, in fact, seems to play dice with one of them. We have a whole book on some poor guy being jerked around by the heavens, basically off a bet. Dafka because he's a good guy. Yeah. A very strange hmm. way to We're talking show about your job. Yeah, Eov. Uh, job, Job. We made that joke once. Get a job. Yep. We made that joke too. <laughs> 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 but you don't find anywhere anything that you're asserting. And I find it very strange that you're willing to kind of rebrand our thousands year tradition on givens that appear nowhere other than, but without them, everything else I'm saying doesn't have a leg to stand on. Where is it coming from? Other than, yeah. with all honesty, evangelical Christian preachers who hit on the secret, godified it, and made millions. No, this is foundational to Judaism. This so that's not... what I asked you. Where? Where's the foundation? This is it, the whole concept that we have. So why do we exist? We exist because God loves existence. Wow, that was simple. So no, we, you love existence too. We we exist because each and every one of us, not just the whole or whatever. No, see that it's not said anywhere. Okay, fine. And so, then it it doesn't, is, so then it doesn't matter if somebody is sad and they want to kill themselves. They should just kill themselves because existence will keep going without them. No, no. maybe it's stupid to be fixated on the fact that you're sad. Thank you. Maybe. Well, that's, how, that's what I've been saying the whole time. No, but. no, 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 no. This is coming. This is a totally different point. Maybe the problem is you're stuck in your own little head. Maybe you're not you, little Mr. Nuclear Individual Person. 
Maybe what makes you you is a multi-planed thing. You can start with cells, you can end up with a nation, and you exist on every single one of those planes. Remember when I've, and I've said this to you outside of this podcast, but I'm sure to stick it into the podcast too. Remember when I said you're shrinking the universe down to your skull? That's what I mean. You're forgetting the part that you have, you're part of a nation, that you are literally carrying the genes of hundreds of people who came before you that you are made up of your experiences and your, as I keep pointing out, hormones and base part of your brain that bypasses your consciousness and all that stuff. And that's why I made such a big show of asking you, so are you pretending that the human is just as consciousness and no more? Because what we're talking about, and that's the building block, is to realize that you're not. That maybe God winds up telling you seven days of creation and puts man on the sixth that you don't forget that there were six days of creation that went into you. That the mosquito was made before you. And that you are a part of the world that the mosquito is and that you exist as part of a totality of a universe, not just little stupid you. So when we're saying the point is not to fixate that you're sad, we're underlining the word your, well, the words you are, whereas you're underlining the word sad. That's the difference. Now, I'm not going to bother, although I'm happy to, showing how where all these ideas come from. But if you're insisting that we're reading it wrong and what you're saying is correct, then we're asking where, anywhere, quote Spinoza for all I care, but find one Jew who explains in any sort of foundational way that the universe consists of a bunch of consciousnesses floating in it. If not, then nobody, no individual's actions make a difference. Every individual's actions make no, a difference. No, not at because all. Because they're Why part not? of the totality of the universe. Not, not at all. If As long as the whole group survives, then fine. And it doesn't matter if we, in fact, that, that, if, if that were true, then we should just take all the sick and mentally ill people and just exterminate them. People have done that in the past. Lots of societies have done that in the past. That's not the Jewish way to look at things. Why is it bad? Why would all of us violate all of God's laws to save one person's life? You're saying because that you... person is part of the totality of creation. Now, the words that we use to explain why you'll do all that for one person's life makes sense. And the answer is because he was saved one life as if he has saved all of creation. Whoa. So is one life important or not? Yes. I'm that because it's an expression. Only of if everything. it is included in the matrix of all of creation. Okay. So within all of creation, you have I'm I'm not all of creation. I'm just me. No. I'm just me. No. I, I'm me. I have to make you decisions. You are not just you. Okay. That's the point. Listen. Are you a neighbor? Saying, are you a father? I'm still me. Are you a member of the Jewish people? I'm still me. Are you a person on this planet? <laughs> You're not just you. You're not. I can't. I'll give you a fantastic example. Both of us have an open door policy, right? We talk about this all the time. Both of our homes are completely open for anyone who's in need. Okay. You live that. You yeah. do. And the reason that you do it is not you. It's them. If you can leave the world a slightly better place, you'd kill for that. 
You do. I mean, you don't kill anyone for it, but but you go to insane lengths to help people. No one is just them. You want to know the easiest way to see how no one's just them? Go to their funeral. If you're just you, then throw your body in an incinerator and shrug. Well, now he's not. But that's not really what happens, right? I mean, people care. It affects their lives. It gets woven into the story of the entire world itself. People suffer. And why? I mean, he he was just him. Well, no, he wasn't. He was my father. No, he wasn't. He was my teacher. No, he wasn't. He was my friend, my neighbor, my rabbi, my priest. Or he was just the guy that delivered milk in the morning, but he always had that smile. And he affected my life and is a part of my life because of that. Who is just you? I can only make decisions in my own life. You're right. You're right. That's fair. We're not arguing with that. I think we're just trying to place some context into what can come after that or beyond that. Where does that come from? And where does that go? Yeah. But in any instance, like we both know, the main thing is to direct your heart to heaven. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. Fantastic. Pleasure. And to all our listeners out there, thank you so much for joining us too. In fact, we just passed our 500th download. Yay! Insert applause. All right, well, signing out from the leafy green hills of Jerusalem, I'm Tzvi. That's my bird. And I'm Mary Simcha. And we'll see you next time. This podcast is for the birds.